Ronananian. During our top of the hour break, we, we ran into the green room when we were watching an episode of Dr. Phil. Guy thinks he's Batman. Wow, thank God we're normal. I just think I'm the car doctor. So, oh wait, I am. That's right. Behind our masks, we're perfectly ordinary people. The car doctor. Uh, I have a 2018 Corolla. I didn't buy the remote starter when I bought the car. I like to add it on. Do I go with the dealership or do I go aftermarket? Well, I like the dealership stuff if I have a preference, Lance. Welcome to the radio home of Ronanania, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, I'm Batman. Here's Ronnie. I'm the car doctor. Start your engines. Hello and welcome. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. I'm Ron Anani and the car doctor, and I am here to help you with your automobile, whatever that might be, and help you to understand it and help you to get more out of it at as efficient a price as possibly can be. Thanks for stopping by today. We know you have a lot of choices out there and a lot of things to do with your time. We, we're very glad that you take some time to spend with us each and every weekend as we are here for two full hours of car doctoring to talk about cars and their problems. We've got a big show, a lot of phone calls lined up in queue, and I'm not going to waste any time. Let's kick the garage doors right open right away, and let's go over and talk to Sal, a 68 Chevy Camaro, and some performance questions. Sal, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. How are you? Good. What's going on? What do you got? Uh, I got issues. Uh, I got a 68 Camaro with a big block. Okay. Um, originally, we had set up for the track, so um, we had, you know, big cam, big rear end, and uh, dual quads on it. Since then, I've really uh, taken it down quite a quite a notch. I put a uh, you know single plane high rise on it with an 850, and um, I left the cam unfortunately, which I think might be causing some of my problems. At any rate, the real question is, I can't get the cam specs. I don't know what what to time it at. I don't know, you know, even where to go with that. Right. Um, I can't get the time specs. So you probably can't. You probably can't get it to idle right, and it's probably sloppy coming off the line. Well, not only sloppy coming off the line, but it's it's uh, it's stumbling. Okay. Yeah. It it kind of falls it's, on its face. You're right. It's stumbling on acceleration, and um, when it gets hot, it's impossible to start. It just will not start. I got to right. wait for it to cool down. Right. So I'm sure part of it is timing, but. Um, I'm worried if I have a vacuum problem. Well, let me let me explain it to you like this. I remember, you know, I remember as a kid, we always wanted bigger and better. You know, we always thought bigger cams were better and bigger heads were better. And, you know, the bigger it was, the faster it would go and the more power it would make. And the way Billy explained it to me, my boss at the time, uh, he, he said to me, he said, go stand in front of a doorway with a breeze blowing. And I, and I did. And he says, now open the door. And I did. And it, it kind of, you know, it. You get a breeze in the face. It, it it sort of it hits you in the kisser, right? And then right. he said, now imagine you take that doorway, that same doorway, and he said, put a fan on the other side of the door and open the door. And the fan, if the if it's strong enough, it knocks you over. And what he was and he was right. And his his point was, it's all about airflow. And in an engine, which is just a big air pump, the piece that is really where the airflow starts, and this was thinking back in the late 60s, early 70s, and a lot's changed, them. a lot of research has, has, has come and gone, is the cam is the heart and soul of the engine. So if the cam was designed to flow two four-barrels at high RPM at the track, 
in a, in a performance application because where's the power band of the engine coming in, right? Why are you trying to take a doorway that's designed for a big giant fan and make it work with a doorway without a fan with mismatched components? You'll spend the rest. I hope you are. I hope you aren't going to tell me that. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, you'll spend. Listen, I get it. You know what? I I'm going to tell you something. Black, my hot rod. All right. It's a small block. It was. It was. I was there when we when we gave it birth on the dyno. I saw the torque curve. I know where the where the RPM band is. I understand, all right? Black sounds really neat with open headers. It just kind of rumps along, and when you pull it into the cruise night, a black 55 barking with open headers just sounds really neat, and people turn their heads. The car's faster when I close the headers. When I cork the right. headers, it's when I cork the headers, it's for, you know, when I plug them up, it, the, the car goes faster. It pulls harder. Uh, it's It's got more whack to it. It just, it just is because it's designed to run that way. Uh, when we, you know, when we ran it on the dyno, we jetted it one way, and then we jetted it another way, and we played with a few things, and I and I saw the difference, and I made the commitment to drive it with headers closed, really, because where's it going to spend most of its life? Headers closed. Right. So, you know, I understand it's cool, it's neat, it's, you know, the older we get, the faster we were in high school. All right. Uh, you know, because our, our, our memory's gone. We don't remember things as clearly as we'd like to, and we just hope that, you know, that's, you know, I've always had that beer belly. That's the way it was. Uh, you might know me better than you think. Well, dude, listen, I got the same problem. It's, you know, it's, but we've got to face reality. You know, one of the things I walked away with, and I, and I never forgot this, is when I was a kid and I was, I was surrounded, I was really blessed to be around some of the smartest guys in the industry, you know, racing cars at the time. And and I, I always remember this. I was that kid that I said, well, you know, if I add an oil pan, it'll go faster. And if I put ladder bars on, it'll go faster. And if I do this, it'll go faster. And da-da-da-da-da-da. And they would all look at me and they'd go, remember this. A lot of research went into that car to make it run the way it did out of the factory by a lot of engineers. And then you have to make progressive changes. Mild goes wild was the expression. And that's... That's 50, 60 years old, and I never forgot that. And you look at some of the fastest cars you knew in your in your youth, and I know some of the fastest cars I know when I was a kid. Some of the fastest cars were, were close to or stock out of the factory that were just, you know, massaged, machined, modified slightly, that they just worked on them a little bit to kind of tweak a little bit more out of it. Because this was the day of mechanical stuff. There was no nitrous. There was no chip in a car. There was no, you know, the way we see Turbo. things today. Yeah, turbos and all that. You know, it was right. just, it was a different time and a different era. So when people say, hey, I want something, I want to be the fastest car in the valley, man, that's really hard today. It, you know, you, you can't be the fastest car in the valley anymore. It's just the valley's gotten too big and there's too much diversification. So, you know, it's 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 change the cam is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I'd start. Well, well, I take a look at the heads you have on it. I would take a look at what heads do you have on it? What rocker arms are you running? In other words, and I'm thinking rocker arms. What ratio rocker arm? All right? right. And and then I would talk about the cam, and I would I would sit down, and then I would look at the intake manifold that you really want to run, and then I would look at the size of the carb. Do you really need an 850? I'm not saying you do, and I'm not saying you don't. But it's airflow. Think of standing in front of that door. Billy always said, you want to be able to open the door and at least get through it without getting knocked over. 
And if you have too big of a fan or too small of a door or too wide of a door and the air flows wrong, you got a problem. And and I know I got a problem. Right. So, you know, before you, you've probably got some big rump 750 lift cam with some crazy duration and... You know, yeah, you know, it's it's great on the street because once you get that thing wound up to about five, six grand, yeah, it's great. It pulls it pulls like a horse, but getting it there is a big problem because all the air is coming in and there's turbulence and there's all kinds of things going on. So, what do, what do you feel, what do you feel about the uh, the stammering on acceleration? Um, I would solve the cam problem first. What okay. what what heads do you have on this car, Sal? They're aluminum open chambers. Okay. So the aluminum open chamber head, and what compression ratio were you running? Uh, last I heard, it was years ago, but they were about 13 to 1. So you've got, okay, so you're running a piston, and compression ratio, for those that don't understand, is it's it's how much squeeze gets put into the the fuel mixture in the cylinder before the spark plug ignites it and expands uh, to compress it. The more you compress it, the tighter it goes. Boom! The bigger the explosion. So you're running now. Are you running? Are you running pump gas or what kind of fuel are you putting in this? Cam two. Okay. Exclusively. So are you going to always run cam two, Sal? I have to. Can't but, run unleaded through that motor. Are, are you trying to be the fastest car in the valley, Sal? No, I'm trying to be the. Actually, what I did was I tried to detune the car because I wanted to drive it on the street. Okay. And that's basically my my what I'm looking for. Um, the, my problem, I go to a stoplight, and the, the car wants to stall without me feathering the gas. Right, because it's got no vacuum at idle, and and it, and it it's 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 got the wrong carb, the wrong cam, it's just a mess. So you can do well, this. The, well, I see, put the tunnel ramp back on. I'll be all right. Huh? Well, well, I would put the tunnel ramp back on on a smaller cam, and it would look really neat. All right, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's what are we chasing? Listen, there was a guy. I'll tell you a quick story, and then I'm going to go. There was a guy up here in Rockland County, Nicky D'Ambrosia. I don't know whatever happened to him. He was he, he was he was I, again. I was blessed. I was surrounded by geniuses. I really was. And I put, I had this crazy idea as a kid. I took a 283, I took a 283 um, crank and a 327 block, and I built myself a 302. I made a 4x3 uh, small block Chevy. And then somebody needed rent money one day, and they had a 660 double squirter Holly intake uh, tunnel ram set up, and I bought it. I paid like 150 bucks for it at the time was, you know, six $700. I didn't know it was a racing right. manifold. Nobody told me that. I bolted it to the car. It was really cool. I had a, I had a primer gray 55 Chevy with a tunnel ram sticking out through the hole in the hood, right? I couldn't make it right. run worth doodly. All right. I, I I I walked into Nikki's one day up on Route 59 in Rockland County, and he 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 knew me from somewhere. I forget where. And we got to talking, and he said it just doesn't sound right. He spent an hour with me, and we tuned it. And we kind of cut back on everything. We detuned it. All right. That car ran so strong going home. I didn't want to get off the thruway, and you know it's just that's the way it is. So detune the car a little bit. Before you figure right. out how to make it run like this, make it run a little slower so you can catch up to it and understand it. And in your case, your problem, though, is 13 to 1 is not going to really cut it. The cam's not going to cut it. The heads are wrong because they're designed for high flow. You might as well pull the motor out, stick it in the corner in the garage, 
All right? <laughs> Tell your wife, listen, honey, I'm saving money. Go down to the Chevy store. Buy a crate motor. Go buy a go buy a, a 502 big block designed for the street yeah. or something. Stick it in there I with a single you. four barrel, and you know what? You'll be cheaper I in the long fun. run. Have fun. I yeah, it's, you know, it's, save that motor. Give that motor to your kids if you have any. If you don't have some kids, to give the motor to. I mean, that's really what it's all about. But you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to fly... You're trying to fly, uh, you know, a, a jumbo jet on the back of a biplane, and it's just not going to work. So um, think got about it. it. Sal, you got my number. You know where I am. Call me if you got any other questions. I got to go. They're, they're looking at me. I'm up against the clock. I enjoyed the conversation. I got to, yeah, I got to relive Thanks. some things from the past. You take good care, Sal. You're very welcome. I'm Ron Anini in the car, Doctor. We're back right after this. Whether it's a little red Corvette or a Yugo, you've come to the right place to get that car fixed. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Let's go over to Maine and talk to Micah. Micah in Maine. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor at your service, sir. How can I help? Well, Ron, I wanted to follow up uh, so that uh, people knew what finally happened with my car battery. And also, I wanted to uh, respectfully disagree with something you said last week. Sure, go ahead. Uh, power frame grid technology, I searched all over for it. We talked about it a little bit or through email. And I went to every high-quality auto parts store in the area. And they just don't seem to make a power frame grid technology battery in Group 25. Right. In a group, in a, so, in a group 25, they don't have it for your car. That's correct. Right. We, that's what we found out. I agree. Right. So I went with another battery, and everything's fine. And then in three and a half years, when they finally make it for Group 25 and I have to replace it again, we'll go with the power frame grid technology. But I just thought that the audience, people who might be shopping for that, might need to know that not all battery groups are made or are available with power frame grid technology, but should definitely get it if it's available to Well, and I'll tell you what, not all battery groups have a gold rating, a silver rating, a plus, a minimum it's it's really kind of funny how the engineers design it that they they get to a certain size for a certain vehicle for a certain cold cranking amps and they cut it off at the knees. Sometimes there aren't choices to up upsize or downsize a battery rating. So yeah, and it's it's it was interesting. I actually learned that. I wasn't aware that power frame is not available in all group sizes until your particular car. So um but yeah, I get it. But at least you got a battery. What else? What are we arguing about today, Micah? We're not arguing, but we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, remote starters. Okay. Last week you said, when you were talking to someone uh, about remote starters, you said, go with the OEM one if you can. That they, they'll work the best. And I have found that that's not necessarily true. Okay. Uh, what I've found with all the OEM starters that I have dealt with, and I've dealt with quite a few helping friends buy them, and what happens is that they're designed so that you can start the car twice, it run, uh, up to twice, It'll run for the pre-programmed set amount of time, which really can't be changed. It may be 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And then you can't restart it again if you need to let it run for a long time, which you do up here in Maine if you're parked outside and you need to de help defrost the car and get the snow off the car, et cetera, and so on. The other thing that happens with the OEM remotes that every manufacturer that I've seen does is that when you OEM start it and you unlock the car to get inside, the engine shuts off and you've got to go back inside and restart it. They do that for some kind of safety reason. And the OEMs kind of remind me of the days, and we're of the same age, the same vintage. Back in the 1970s, I worked for Crazy Eddie's, and Crazy Eddie sold car stereos. 
And you could get an OEM car stereo that might have a cassette deck in it, but you couldn't get all the features that you wanted. And so you put in an aftermarket one, and you found a good installer that did a good job, and you had so many more features and abilities. And the aftermarket remote starters, I can turn on my rear window defrost with it. I can start it from up to a mile away if I need to, so it'll be ready for me when I get there. I can let it run, set it to run for as long as I need for it to run, and I can tell remotely that it's started or if it's not started or if there's a problem with it. But here's you the, just don't get that with the OEM right now. But here's the catch, okay? And this is why I prefer OEM over aftermarket. The way the electronics are going in the cars, that OEM starter is generally a plug-and-play. We, we just did a remote start in a Subaru. We bought the kit from Subaru. We unplugged the harness, plugged in the remote start kit. There was no cutting. There was no splicing. There was no soldering. And we programmed it to accept remote start, and the car was done. Whereas the aftermarket kits, and what I'm seeing is due to installer error, and that's some of it. And granted, the, the installer is responsible for some of it. But it's either installer error or the way the wires have to be connected to individual wires, body computers, controllers, and such. It's not as clean and as sloppy and effortless of an install. So my, my, my line of thinking is what's more important to me, to be able to turn on a rear wiper blade when I want to because I'm not in the car at that moment, and I respect that, okay? Or do I want to be able to know that it's going to last the life and the length of service of the vehicle such that I don't have to deal with, you know, something went bad, the manufacturer went out, I dropped the key remote five years later, and I can't get a replacement part because they don't make that particular model anymore. And with the changes in electronics, it's changing so fast that I'm always thinking about replacement parts. So maybe I've got a trade-off being able to restart the car for that third time to know I've got longevity. If I keep the car 10 years, I can always get parts for it. So I get it, Micah. I understand. I, I get where you're coming from. Um, I've just got a little bit of a different perspective, and I'm always just thinking about sooner or later it's going to break, and, you know, somebody's got to fix it. As always, brother, I appreciate hearing from you. You have a uh, good rest of the day up there in Maine, and uh, we always look forward to your comments. I'm Ron Anning in the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. Don't go away. The Car Doctor rolling along at 855-560-9900. I should point out that is the Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. You can call that any time, day or night, regardless of when or how you're listening to this broadcast. And, uh, I, you know, obviously this is a radio show in its heart and its form. This is a radio show. Some people are confused. They think we're only on podcast. No, you see, the radio show creates the podcast, not the other way around. So if you're a podcaster and you want to talk to us, we are here live in studio doing a live radio broadcast uh, at, at Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. East Coast time. We're East Coasters uh, at 855-560-9900. Or you can call, leave a message, and Tom Ray, chief head cook, bottle washer, and uh, all-around good guy, will uh, call you back and put you in the next live queue to get to talk to me specifically. And uh, you wanted to talk to Tom for very long, I promise. So um, I love you, Tom. Let's get on over and talk to Glenn in San Francisco, 2001 GMC, and some problems with smog. Glenn, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Yes. Uh, I was calling regarding my uh, 2001 GMC Sierra okay. 1500. Right. It's been uh, 
non-op for the last several years. I've gone out and started it up once in a while. Right. But during that time, the battery went dead, and and now I've decided to take it in and get it running again and have it smogged. And uh, the mechanic tells me that the computer module needs to be reset. And there's uh, three functions that need to be reset, and he's been able to reset two of them, but he can't get the third one to reset. And it's been several weeks now that he's, and basically what he's told me is that it just needs to be driven around and uh, for it to reset. He's, he's, He's talking about it's not running monitors. Does he say the word monitors or does he say, does he say... How does he describe it he, to you? He's talking about he monitors. He, yeah. Yeah, he can't. He cannot connect to his diagnostic machine to it because the computer won't reset. Right. Okay. So he can't read it. He can't read it. Does he, diagnostic. Does he say which one won't reset? He hasn't told. I have. I haven't told. Asked him that yet. But no. Okay. Uh, so let me. And I'm just. Let me. I'm let wondering. Me, uh, how do you go about it? So let me yeah. let me let me explain it to you like this, Glenn. All right, and I'm and I'm and I'm taking a little bit of a a poke in the dark here because I I think we've got the right terminology, but we don't have enough information. Um, mm-hmm. You went to high school, right? Yes. What, what was your worst subject? Did you have a bad subject uh, in high school? Math, probably. Math. Okay. Did you take every math test? Yeah. Did Did you complete every math test? Yes. Did, did you so. did you did you pass every math test? No. Okay. So your math test is like your car's computer. Your car's mm-hmm. computer has several subjects or several areas that it, it it has to test and identify each and every moment that it's working and running the vehicle. All right. Mm-hmm. We call them monitors. And it's it's the the monitor or the computer self test of those particular functions, and it it varies from year make model. The most common ones are uh, it's it's checking misfire monitors, the vehicle misfiring. It's checking catalytic converter state. It's checking evaporative emissions. It's checking O2 sensor activity, and it, the list goes on and on. Depending upon the year make and model, there could be anywhere from a minimum of six to you know probably as many as fourteen, depending upon the the type and make of car. My suspicion is that the test that your computer isn't able to complete is evaporative emissions. And that's mm-hmm. what I want you to go back and ask your mechanic. If it's EVAP, evaporative emissions is the measurement of is the fuel tank, is the fuel system sealed so that no fumes come out into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And it, it is acknowledgedly it is the hardest test well it's one of the harder tests to get the vehicle to take it's sort of like advanced mathematics it 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 doesn't really want to complete it because it's afraid of the answer so this car sat for a while you said yes all right yes so the fact that this car sat for a while a couple of months a year two years yes okay so one of the biggest failures of the evap systems is something called a vent solenoid, all right? Mm-hmm. And what happens is, I don't know why, but spiders like to crawl up inside vent solenoids and build spider webs, and they do all kinds of nasty things in there. I think it's where they have baby spiders. And vent solenoids have been known to become clogged, restricted, not work properly, not sealed properly, 
and mm-hmm. they, in general, were probably the weakest link in the vehicle in that system. So, you know, if you could ask them, hey, you know, I talked, I talked to the car doctor, and I want to know what, what monitor is not running, which will probably rattle his cage when he hears monitor, um, not so much car doctor. And, yeah. you know, is it the EVAP system? If he says it's the EVAP system, then, you know, let's diagnose it, all right? Yeah. And, and, and we can talk about that. So in an EVAP system, um, do you live in a house or an apartment? A house. Okay. Do you have a front door and a back door? Yes. Perfect. So the gas tank in your in your truck, all right, you have a gas tank. You have yeah. a purge valve. You have a vent valve. Front door, mm-hmm. back door. Right. The gas mm-hmm. tank's in the middle. The house is in the middle. When the air in the house has to be, you know, when there's the, the air in the house, you know, you're cooking something and, you know, the, the inside, you're, you're making, let me see, what can we, we're making Brussels sprouts, all right? And all of a sudden, it stinks inside the house. You've got to get some air in there. Well, you open up the mm-hmm. front door, it's not enough. You've got to open up the back door, the front door, so the air comes through and scavenges all the fumes out of the house and takes it out the front door, right? Mm-hmm. S- same thing with your car, all right? There's a vent valve, which is in the back of the gas tank, and there's a purge valve, which is in the front of the gas tank, and is attached to the engine. When the computer says at the right moment, hey, there's so many fumes in the, in the tank, or there's too many fumes in the charcoal canister, which is the filter, which we really haven't talked about yet, we want to remove all the fumes, it opens up the doors, and it allows fresh air to be pulled through and gets the fumes into the engine where it can burn. Now... The goal is we don't want to let the bad Brussels sprout smell go out into the atmosphere. We don't want to let the fuel fumes go out into the atmosphere. So it will, it will close either the back door or the front door at particular times and, and pull a vacuum. Is the system got integrity? Is it, is it sealed to atmosphere? If it, if it doesn't pass that test, you fail math and the car doesn't get an inspection sticker. Make sense? Right. Right. So, so if we're trying to fix EVAP, we've got to find out what are the parameters to make that EVAP monitor run. And here's what I'm going to leave you with. If you've got more mm-hmm. than three-quarters of a tank of fuel or less than a quarter tank of fuel, the EVAP monitor will never, ever run. Period. Done. It's, just, it's in the programming of the majority of vehicles out there on the road today. So if the con- just saying, ah, just drive the car... Listen, brother, you could start in San Francisco and end up in Waldock, New Jersey. I'll buy you coffee. The monitor's still not uh-huh. going to run if you always have more than three-quarters of a tank or less than a quarter tank of fuel. It's just never going to happen. So ask him what monitor we're trying to run and ask him what conditions need to be set before the monitor will run successfully. Let's see how he answers that question. Call me back next week. All right. Thank you. All right. You're very welcome. You take good care. 855-560-9900. I hope your Brussels sprouts come out good tonight, America. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anany and the Car Doctor here. Let's get over and talk to... Where are we going? One or two? Two. Let's go to two. Let's go to Rob in Tennessee, 98 Ford Explorer. Rob, how can I help you, sir? Well, yes, I'm having an issue similar to the uh, last caller, the uh, code 0P0443. Okay, uh, that problem, right. Yeah. Uh, I did some troubleshooting on it, and I removed it, and I thought it had a, you know, a electrically operated solenoid valve in it, and I applied 12 volts to it, and it didn't make any sound. So I replaced it, and uh, the, the code reset. 
and I checked the voltage on the line feeding it, and it's you know varying from five to thirteen volts, which you know kind of cycling, which I think it's supposed to. So I didn't know where to go from here. Okay, so so you've got a P zero four four three a vapor management VMV solenoid fault, correct? Yes. So yes. the the VMV is located under the battery tray. Yes, I replaced it. All right. Yes. Do you still have the old one? No, unfortunately. All right. We have to stop throwing out the old part. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not yelling at you specifically, Rob, but everybody does this. You know when I, you know when I throw the parts out at the shop about ten days after the car is gone. Not that I doubt what I do, but you know the weirdest things come up, and you just need to look at an old part for some reason. It's just, it's just, it's just a good idea to keep it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I assume when I applied 12 volts to it, I thought it had a solenoid valve in it, but I don't believe it does. You know, I think it's vacuum operated, isn't it? Well, no, there should be there should be electrical there. There should be this should have uh two hoses, one in, one out, and then an electrical connection that's got a hot and the computer applies ground when it wants to open or close. Well, there's a there's a vacuum a vacuum hose on the bottom of it also. Okay. Uh, right, and there is there actually is a third vacuum hose underneath it. But it does I thought that's the is that the one that actuates it? Um no, this is electrically actuated. This okay. is this is the computer. 443 suggests that the PCM, the powertrain control module, is seeing an electrical control fault of that solenoid. That it's it's not seeing it activate. It's not seeing okay. it's it's it it change state or there's a fault in the electrical circuit itself. Okay, I removed the old one and tested it. It it doesn't make any sound either. Uh Okay. And the ohm, you know, the resistance on it is like 33 ohms, which is right, you know, correct. So. Okay, so do this. There's a red wire. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two simple tests, and then I'm going to let you go. You're going to call me back next week. There's a red wire at the VMV valve, right? Yes. If you turn the key on in the run position, does it have battery voltage? Uh, I don't remember. But when I, I started it without it plugged in and. You know, it had voltage on it. It was varying. You know, it was cycling like from like five volts to thirteen volts. Which okay, is, I think it's what it's supposed to do. Well, hang on a second. You mm-hmm. you turn the key to the run position. That red wire should have a solid a, a solid reading of battery voltage. It's not supposed to cycle. Just tw- that that red wire. Just one end to the negative battery post. One end to the the positive end to the red wire. You should read battery voltage. Also, uh, recently, I've not been able to fill the gas tank almost all the way. Well, is that well, wait, related? Wait, wait. Do we want to go to? The, mm-hmm. Let's let's stay at the front of the car a minute. All right. Mm-hmm. So you know you want to make sure you have power at that red wire. It shouldn't yeah. be cycling. All right. The there's a light green black wire at the VMV. That's the ground side. It comes off the powertrain control module pin 56. You want to make sure that you have continuity. At the VMV, at the vapor management valve solenoid under the battery tray, back to the PCM, that you've got continuity there. If you do, that's the electrical circuit. Then we can have a conversation, does the PCM, is it able to turn it on, turn it off, and so forth. To the can't fuel up the car problem, that could be, all right, that could be related to this. But before we even have that conversation, I want to make sure we're working electrically, that could be an issue back at the neck. Inside the fuel neck on that vehicle is an inner sleeve inside the fuel neck, and they're known to pull off over time and create enough back pressure that it pops the pump. 
do you have to turn the pump nozzle around upside down and, and kind of jiggle no. it a little bit to get it? No. So when you say no. it doesn't, when you say you have a hard time putting fuel in it, what does it do? No, I, I don't have a hard time putting fuel in it. The gas gauge, yeah, uh, you know, it's only going to maybe seven eighths full now. Seems like it all started when this code uh, set. Okay. Um, uh, that the vent valve on the back of the tank it has a different code, doesn't it? If it was if right, it had an correct. Issue. Okay, you're okay. dealing you're dealing with you're dealing with a VMV fault, which in in English is a, is a purge. It's a it's the front door. Okay. Remember the analogy oh. I gave I gave the gentleman from San Francisco. Um, oh. you, the, the, your your car is setting a front door fault code for the EVAP system. Okay, so the red wire should have twelve volts when the switch the switch on and not start it right ignition yeah key yeah, yeah. on engine okay. not running you should have okay. 12 volts there and then that light green black now that light green black goes back to the pcm don't put any voltage to it don't do anything else other than find pin 56 at the right connector of the pcm and check resistance between the two and that way we know that the computer can control it should it want to all right and then call me back next week, and we'll talk about this further. That's your assignment this week, Rob. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, The Car Doctor, rolling along at 855-560-9900. Mike in Massachusetts, 2014 Chevy Silverado. How can I help, sir? Hi, Ron. Uh, long-time listener. Um, I had a question for you. I've got a 14 Silverado. It's a... Uh, it's a, not a crew cab, but it is a four-door. Uh, it's four-wheel drive. And um, when it's 50 degrees and warmer out, uh, if I take the car and the truck on the interstate and I'm driving, say, between 60 to 65 or higher in miles per hour, it vibrates. Okay. Now, it's not the steering wheel. It's not the, it doesn't feel like it's the rear wheels. Um, but you can definitely feel it in the cab itself. The, the entire vehicle does shake. Only when it's warm above 50 degrees. That's correct. Is it now, when I took is, the, is just, it, just, just saying where I took the truck, I took, I took the truck to, uh, to a New Hampshire trip when it was super, super cold out and took it for a three-hour ride up to New Hampshire. My wife and I went on vacation. Didn't have any issues when it was on the interstate. Did not vibrate, did not have any problems with it. My first reaction is it has to be tires. But well, it, it, so we went down that path with the dealer, right. and uh, what happened was I went the truck about a year and a half ago at a, at a local dealership. Brought it back to the same place. We had the tires. High-speed balance was one. And then it was still doing the same thing. We took it back, and ha they road force balanced the tires also. Okay. So same problem occurred. And then what I did was I have a buddy who's got a 14 Silverado who's got a crew cab, full four doors. I took the tires off of his truck, put them on my truck. Made no difference. Which he doesn't, and, and there's no difference. Okay, so it's not tires. No. So at 65 miles an hour in cold weather, if you're rolling along, you've got this vibration. If you put it into neutral and coast, does the vibration change? No, it still stays. And also what I've done, too, is uh, it's got a tow option on the vehicle as well. And when I switch it over to tow, it still does the same thing. And then the other part, the other thing I do is uh, it's got a manual option for the transmission. And I shift it into manually, and it still does the same thing. All right, Mike, you sit tight. I'm going to take this call off air until we get past the news at the top of the hour. I'm Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor reminding you good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.